This morning, we continue our series on justice, thinking about justice and the nations. The Bible advocates for relationships of justice between individuals, communities, and nations if inequalities, injustices, and divisions are to be adequately addressed and God's moral standards as upheld. Throughout scripture, we find God's heart for the nations. Although his blessings for humanity flowed through the Israelites who were chosen as God's nation, the ultimate goal throughout was that through them, the nations of the earth or the ethnic peoples, ethnic groups of every part of the world may come to know and understand God's kingdom and God's love for a lost and fallen humanity. And at the heart of it, God always had this intention to bring wholeness and to make things right amongst all peoples. Throughout the Bible, when God pronounces judgment on the sin of injustice, whether at an individual or community level, his intention was always to bring wholeness. My work takes me to different countries where I meet people from different nations, uh, ethnic groups, and even nationalities. And it's always interesting to see how people tend to have suspicion towards those who are different from themselves. And that suspicion can translate into prejudice. And as children of God, we are invited to be God's ambassadors, instruments to introduce the kingdom of God wherever we go, so that people from every language and nation may experience the wholeness that God desires for them. So what are God's thoughts about justice and the nations? As human beings, however hard we try to practice justice, there is a biasness within us where our personal sentiments can play a bigger role. Although on the whole, we tend to agree that every person needs to be treated equally and be shown dignity. When our personal privileges and rights seem to be interfered with, the natural disposition is to fight back because we seek to protect ourselves. And although that in itself is not totally wrong, in the eyes of God, his children need to be messengers of peace to bring reconciliation because of what Christ himself has done by making us where his enemies to be brought into a relationship with him. So as we think about God's thoughts for the nation, and as we think about justice for the nation, I think one person who captures it really well is Graham Goldsworthy, as he talks about God's kingdom. He thinks of God's kingdom as God's people, living in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessings. And this is something that as children of God, we need to pray towards, aspire towards, that our motives, our actions, our intentions may, be, may translate into God's heart 
for the nations. The basis and meaning of justice only makes complete sense when we understand who God is and what he does. Justice is what God is and justice is what God does. God sees all humanity as equal. And one of the biggest problems of human fallenness is to think that they can be good, right, and just without living under the Lordship of Christ. This perhaps is the greatest injustice of all when we bring ourselves as human beings to think like that. Yet Christ offers us an opportunity to be restored back to himself by submitting to his rule. And that's why we have God's mission, where God is seeking out for the nations of the world to restore them to be under his rule and kingship. And this will provide the ultimate solution to injustice in the world. Wherever there is a question of justice and injustice, on the other hand, it's also to do with privilege. We find that some people of the world are more privileged than others. And for some, they are less privileged, not purely because of their own failures, but it's because of the inequality that exists in the world. And so when we, as God's children, find ourselves in a place of privilege, the right response is to learn to be thankful to God and use our privilege to honor God and to promote his purposes. I wanted us to reflect briefly on the book of 2 Kings chapter 5 and draw some lessons from the life of a captive girl from Israel who found herself in foreign territory. The characters in the passage that was read to us include the captive girl, her mistress, her mistress's husband, Naaman, King Aram, the king, I mean the king of Aram, the king of Israel, prophet Elisha, and Elisha's servant Gehazi. As you read that passage, a few things stand out as a surprise as you come to the passage. In verse 1, for instance, the Bible tells us the Lord had given victory to Aram, which is Syria, who were the enemies of God's people. And this had come through Naaman, who was the valiant soldier and commander of, the, commander of the armies of Aram, but he had leprosy. The Lord had given victory to Aram. Interesting, because God, instead of giving victory to his people, he is fighting on the side of the enemies of God's people. Obviously, it had come out of God's people and their disobedience towards him. Secondly, we find that this captive girl from Israel finds herself in the home of Naaman and his wife. And as she sees this valiant general fighting battles and coming back home, she probably recognized the disability that he had because of leprosy. And instead of just keeping quiet about it, she has compassion for him and prays, if only my master would see the prophet in Israel, he would be cured of his leprosy. 
Notice that the girl is not mentioned by name, showing her low status in society. And the interesting thing that her, mis the mistress, her mistress herself is not mentioned as well, which gives us a picture of where women were seen or held in society. The third thing we notice about this passage, that the king of Aram sends his army commander to the king of Israel for healing. And yet these two countries were at war. Very intriguing in verse 4 through to verse 6. And in verse 7, the king of Israel, who was supposed to be a witness of God to the nations, has no idea what to do with this Gentile seeking for help. And this creates a political and a diplomatic crisis. However, Elisha takes charge when he hears about Naaman and invites him to come and see him, but doesn't even bother to go and meet Naaman himself. And he sends his messenger in verse 8 to verse 10 to give him instructions how he is meant to be cured. Nahum, of course, resists because he has this expectation of how God should work. He expected the prophet to come out, wave his hand over his leprosy and just miraculously be cured. But God works differently. And it's the servants of Nehemiah, the commander of the armies of Aram who plead with their master to listen to the prophet's instructions. And eventually, in verse 15, Naaman is healed of his leprosy. And the question that comes to mind is, what made the captive girl effective as a practitioner of justice? Of course, we see that her ministry was from a place of weakness. It was Paul Jeong who described ministry from a place of weakness as a position of humility, brokenness, and obedience. It's the attitude that plays out here. The ultimate expression of this happened at the cross, where Jesus set us the pattern of serving in ministry, providing both hope and judgment as he hung on the cross. At the cross, we do not just get what we are due, but an abundance of mercy and generosity, which are key ingredients of God's justice to the nation. And we see this in the life of this captive girl. She demonstrated generosity and mercy and compassion to her captors in the place where she was serving. Some lessons that we can learn from those few things we have observed in the text of scripture are the following. The first one, we can see the confidence she had in the God to whom she belonged. The confidence she had in the God to whom she belonged. We see her bold witness to her master in her workplace by introducing him to the God of Israel. Yet even the king of Israel wasn't in tune with God, whom he was to be a representative of to the nations. This is a wonderful example in this young girl of doing mission and extending the justice of God amongst the enemies of God's people. Jesus, in fact, quotes this incident in Luke chapter 4 when he appears in the synagogue and reads from the prophet Isaiah. 
and says that the prophecy of Isaiah had been fulfilled in their midst that day. The congregation in the synagogue were amazed at his words, at his authority, and even how he spoke to them until he mentioned this particular incident and one other of Gentiles who experienced the miraculous work of God among them. The Jewish congregation that morning could not take it. How God could show uh, mercy and grace to Gentile communities. And in fact, the admiration of Jesus in the synagogue turned into anger and hatred in Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to 30, to the point that they were willing and ready to kill Jesus. But then Jesus slid out from their midst because his time had not yet come to die. So we see this girl demonstrating her confidence in God. But secondly, she had compassion for the people she was in contact with. God is calling both those who are without status, like this captive girl, and those with a status, like most of us here this morning, to be able to show compassion to the world around them. And this has to be done with humility and brokenness. A few months back, I was speaking to a group of people who had gone to do some Christians who had gone to do some outreach in the Middle East. As they lived in this particular house, in the upper floors where there was no water, they were served by a maid from the Philippines who brought in water every morning for their use. But the interesting thing about this uh, lady is that she never knocked. She just walked into the house, brought in the water and walked out. And this disturbed the team for a while because they found it quite impolite. And so the leader confronted this lady, you know, after a couple of days and asked her, wouldn't it just be courteous of you to, to just let them know or knock before she came in? And this lady was surprised because she said she never thought anybody noticed that she existed. Her work was to be a servant, a slave, so to speak. And so for her to be asked to make her presence be felt was something that she was not familiar with. And further conversation actually revealed that many of these maids serving in the Middle East spend their nights worrying and thinking about how to make the life of their masters better. Compassion is seen in the life of this uh, captive girl from Israel as she lives in her master's house. Why is it important to have compassion and allow the Holy Spirit of God to develop compassion in us? Is that as we demonstrate compassion, it will affect our character, our motivation, and relationships. Today, we live in a world where we have been praying for a long time for God's grace and salvation to reach people in places that still remain unreached. Many of these places are in places of war or religious hostility. And in God's sovereign providence, he has brought people from many of these countries right to our doorstep. The challenge for us in answer to God's prayer is to respond by showing compassion to people the Lord has brought to our doorsteps. 
often as asylum seekers, refugees, and international students. This girl demonstrated to us what compassion means, is being able to act with kindness for the good of those who are not even your own people. And the third thing we see from this uh, captive girl was her commitment to influence her surroundings for God's kingdom. Commitment to influence her surroundings for God's kingdom. Salvation, as we see in scripture, both for Israel and for us, is into a life of service and obedience to God. Although a captive without the right to speak and maybe even the right to her freedom, she saw an opportunity where she could bring God's kingdom into the home of Naaman. And she was a witness to the God of Israel who was able to deal with his leprosy. She showed diligence in her work and honesty that must have earned her trust with her mistress to be able to believe her words, even as she advised that they could find help amongst the enemies with whom they had been fighting. And she showed commitment to justice, to extend the justice of God, that God's kingdom and favor and blessings were not to be limited to Israel alone, even to the Gentiles who were outsiders, that they too needed to experience God's grace and mercy. As we think about this, sometimes we do get overwhelmed because of the needs of the world. And it's so easy for us because as we look around, you know, Europe is changing, the UK is changing, we are inundated by people of other faiths and no faith. And so the challenge comes to us. We are helpless. What can we do? But I want to encourage you this morning. God does not expect you to do everything. But neither does he expect you to do nothing. We can be encouraged by the so many things that are happening. For instance, the church in the West has been praying for the persecuted church for many years. And God in his mercy is answering our prayers. One of the countries for which we have prayed for the persecuted church is Iran. And yet many of the refugees in Europe today come from Iran. The fastest growing churches across the whole of Europe is amongst the Iranians. God is answering prayer. And yet he's using them through their movement to continue to grow and to be a blessing in return into Europe. We can join the global church in praying for the persecuted and rejoicing of how God continues to grow his kingdom even among those who are being persecuted. Another way in which the church over the years has promoted justice amongst the nations is substantial changes in the law and the legal systems. We can be thankful that even the British government in conjunction with groups that have played advocacy roles for human rights amongst women who experience FGM, that they can find justice as Christians in other countries work together with non-governmental organizations to provide relief and justice for communities where there is injustice. And we could talk about many other examples of things that are happening. So in other words, we don't need to do it all. We can join others 
Pray with them, support them, and be part of God's wider family of bringing justice to the nations. Yes, of course, we start with our local needs, and those themselves can be overwhelming. But God expects that at every point in time, believers in him need to act both locally, but also have the global picture in mind, because that's how the gospel gets out to everyone. That's how the gospel used reached Europe when the church was strong and growing in Asia Minor and, and, and in the Middle East. We find that Christians had the heart to see the gospel reach Europe as well because people obeyed God's call and that's how the gospel reached Europe. We have a responsibility for parts of the world that are not yet reached. Let me just uh, suggest uh, two things that perhaps we can think about as we think about justice for the nations. That the first thing is to remember that every human being has a God-given value. If we want to make an impact in the world on behalf of God, we need to be fully convinced of the fact that every human being has a God-given value. In the Western society, we tend to measure people's value by their economic input or output. But God looks at us differently. From a little baby and child that is born to an older, retired person living in a care home, each of those people and everyone in between has value before God. God is concerned about their lives. And this value is not dependent on their productivity. And so our responsibility as Christians is to recognize this value and allow it to influence our prayers, our compassion, and our witness to others through mission activities. Remember that mission is joining God in what he is doing. And he just gives us the privilege to serve alongside him. The captive girl understood this when even as a captive living in enemy territory, she was willing to see the value of these people before the Holy God. And we therefore have the same opportunity to do that all around us. I think the second thing that perhaps is more challenging to us as we think about justice and the nations is to remind ourselves that we do not have absolute right to all that we privately own. The Bible teaches us that we as Christians are stewards of what truly speaking belongs to God. When God has blessed us to have material wealth, the natural thing for followers of Jesus is to think in terms of God's mission and God's heart, to use these resources to build his kingdom. Today, as we think about parts of the world that remain unreached and for which God has given us the commission collectively as God's global church to reach out to them, that the most effective missionaries to reach these remaining unreached places perhaps are in Africa and Asia and Latin America, places that don't have the same economic status as we have here in Europe. And so as we think in that light, we can begin to realize that God has blessed us with material resources that we can use to bless God's kingdom as we serve locally in mission 
but also have a global perspective of how to support and engage God's work globally. This calls for a willingness to give up privilege for God's greater purpose and glory to his name. God will not make us do everything, but he gives us the privilege and the honor to serve him with what he has given us. As we seek to live out the gospel of justice to the nations, even at Barton Church, we can be thankful to God that we have the freedom to worship him, albeit on Zoom these days. But God wants us to be providers of hope to a fallen and a broken world. The justice of God brings to us mercy and generosity, even beyond what we deserve to get. And where there is so much hopelessness and injustice, exclusion and suffering in the world, in the spheres where God has placed us, may we be instruments that provide hope. Maybe it's a kind word. Maybe it's a generous gift. Maybe it's a practical service. Maybe it's a, a phone call. But when we think about justice and the nations, that we together may not forget to pray for God's kingdom to come in nations where we have whole people groups held back in captivity by sin and religious bondage. And they too need a savior. May God challenge us, challenge us from the example of this captive girl who had confidence in her God and was filled with compassion for the people she found herself amongst and showed commitment to great God's greater purpose to see justice extended out to the nations of the world. And we too have access to that. I want to challenge you this morning that if you are listening to me and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ yet, why don't you take time to explore and discover the justice of God that is for the nations? It's in order to give us hope and to extend God's mercy and generosity that we can have life in him and life in abundance, even in the midst of such a great pandemic. If we are followers of Jesus, perhaps the challenge is to think afresh. We may have our set ways and understandings like Naaman had as he thought about how God works. But sometimes God pushes out us beyond our comfort areas and zones and he works differently and he wants to use us to show compassion to people different from ourselves through opportunities that he himself will open up for us and through which we can be an instrument of blessing to bring hope. May we therefore take those opportunities in humility, brokenness, and obedience as we serve God, our King and Master. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this privilege and opportunity to come before you this morning. We pray that your grace may abound to us where we feel overwhelmed by the problems of the world, that you may give us a fresh perspective of your justice for the nations, that 
in small and big ways, will step out in faith and allow us to provide hope. Perhaps for those the Lord you have brought around us, even without necessarily going anywhere further afield. And we pray that as we do it, may you give us the discernment and sensitivity like the captive girl to understand your heart for the people around us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.